0: Luke 15, a very familiar scripture. We'd like to begin reading with verse number 11. And he said, A certain man had two sons, and the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the portion of goods that falleth to me. And he divided unto them his living. And not many days after, the younger son gathered all together and took his journey into a far country, and there wasted his substance with riotous living. Then all, there arose a mighty famine in that land, and he began to be in want. And he went and joined himself to a citizen of that country, and he sent him into his fields to feed swine. And he would fain have filled his belly with a husks that the swine did eat, and no man gave unto him. And when he came to himself, he said, How many hired servants of my fathers have bread enough and to spare? And I perish with hunger. I will arise and go to my father and will say unto him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before thee and I'm no more worthy to be called thy son. Make me as one of thy hired servants. And he arose and came to his father. But when he was yet a great way off, his father saw him and had compassion and ran and fell on his neck and kissed him. And the son said unto him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and in thy sight and i am no more worthy to be called thy son. But the father said to his servants, Bring forth the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet. Bring hither the fatted calf and kill it and let us eat and be merry. For this my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And they began to be merry." Let us pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you for the word of God, for another privilege that you have given this side of eternity to preach your word. And Lord, I realize without your touch I can do nothing. I yield myself to your God and pray for your filling. I pray for wisdom. And may I communicate the message in a way that will bring honor and glory to you. Speak to my heart and the hearts of each one who's come this way in Christ's name. Amen. I want you to look uh, uh, again at verse 22. The Father said to His servants, Bring forth the best robe and put it on Him and put a ring on His hand and shoes on His feet. Uh, That uh, uh, phrase there, the best robe, that really spoke to my heart. And I want to bring a message today on God's best. You know, the prodigal son is a familiar story. And it reveals human nature uh, at its worst and uh, how that man persists in ruining his life uh, when he leaves God out of his life and the Father patiently waiting for the Son's return. Uh, This is a picture of God, I believe. You know, sometimes we may wonder why things happen in our life and why God uh, allows things to happen in our life. And uh, if we're not careful, we may begin to, uh, to have an attitude problem. But uh, you know the Lord, I can hear the Lord saying, uh, I'm on your side, uh, that God is out for our best. God's not our enemy, God's our friend, and He is uh, wants the best. For us. And we have that illustrated here in this story. At God's best when he comes to pardon. Now, the father was ready. Uh, from the time the prodigal went away from home and wasted his substance, the Bible said that uh, he had devoured his living with harlots in verse 30. So you can understand what kind of lifestyle that he was involved in. Radius living a life of sin and a life of rebellion as uh, as happens in many people's life. And uh, there came a time though, the Bible said in verse 14 that he had spent all. And that always happens when you follow sin and the devil. You always come to ruin. And you always come to a place uh, where everything's gone. Now he had friends and and he had all these things till the money ran out and then he was left with nothing. And he ends up, ends up in the hog pen there uh, feeding, the, feeding the swine. And the Bible said in verse 17 that he came to himself. Uh, he came to himself. Uh, he began to realize and you know a person without Christ they don't think right. Uh, the devil has has the minds blinded uh, until the sinner can't understand reality. Uh, Man lives in a fantasy world, a world that is unreal. And here this young man was, he was so involved in his parting and in his sin that he was living a, a, a fantasy life. And one day when it was all gone, and sometimes we have to come to that place where we have nowhere to look but God, And he realized it's all gone. He came to himself. But you know the father, the father was ready. Uh, From the day that he left home, he could have went back home. The father was willing. The father was ready to receive him. And the only thing that kept him away was him. And that's the only thing that keeps a sinner from God is his own sin and rebellion. Now, in Nehemiah 9:17, the Bible said, Thou art a God ready to pardon, gracious and merciful, slow to anger, and of great kindness. In Psalm 86, 15, But thou, o Lord, art a God full of compassion and a gracious, long-suffering, and plenteous in mercy and truth. That God is ready and willing to forgive and to save. Uh, whoever may come God is able God is willing God is ready in Isaiah 55 7 let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts and let him return unto the Lord he will have mercy upon him and to where God for he will abundantly pardon so if if a sinner is not saved it's not God's fault because God is ready and he said the only thing that the sinner has to do is turn to the Lord. You know going to hell don't make any sense, does it? It makes no sense at all when, when, when you can have heaven, when you can be saved, when you can be forgiven. Why go to hell when salvation is free? When God offers it freely. Ezekiel 33 verse 11, saying to them, As I live, saith the Lord, God, I have no pleasure in the death of the wicked but that the wicked turn from his way and live turn ye turn ye from the evil ways for why will ye die o house of israel god gets no pleasure out of people being lost i remember a a, a preacher i heard some years ago and uh, he said you know i used to preach on hell and and when i would preach on hell i preached uh, Uh, In such a way that it seemed I was almost glad that people were going to hell. And then he said, I began to realize that God gets no pleasure out of people being lost. And he says, now when I preach on hell, I preach on hell with a broken heart and a contrite spirit because it breaks the heart of God when men are lost. It breaks God's heart that people would reject His way of escape. When salvation is free to whosoever will, God says you can have it. I give it to you freely. And yet man goes on and persists in rejecting the Lord. In 2 Peter chapter 3 and verse 9, the Bible said the Lord is not slack, concerning his promise as some men count slackness, but is long suffering usward, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. God wants everybody to be saved. I realize everybody's not going to be saved. But it's not God's fault. He died for the sins of the world, He died for every man. The way of salvation is available and possible to whosoever will. And no man will stand before God one day and say, God, it's your fault. I'm lost. It's your fault. I'm going to hell. No man will be able to accuse God of that because every man is given opportunity. And he's not willing. And that's the long surfing of God. Our world continues to get worse and worse and worse and worse. And you wonder how much longer God can put up, how much more God can put up with. You know what God puts up with? It. He's not willing that any should perish. He puts up with it because He wants people to be saved. In the book of Zechariah, if you'll turn there, please, we have, I think, this truth illustrated uh, again in in the book of Zechariah. and chapter number 3, page 967, if you have a Schofield Bible, in Zechariah chapter 3, and verse 1, And he showed me Joshua the high priest standing before the angel of the Lord, and Satan standing at his right hand to resist him. And the Lord said unto Satan, the Lord rebuked thee, O Satan. Even the Lord that hath chosen Jerusalem rebuked thee. Is not this a brand plucked out of the fire? Now Joshua was clothed with filthy garments and stood before the angel. And he answered and spake unto those that stood before him, saying, Take away the filthy garments from him. And unto him he said, Behold, I have caused thine iniquity to pass from thee, and I will clothe thee with change of raiment. And I said, let them set a fair miter upon his head. So they set a fair miter upon his head and clothed him with garments. And the angel of the Lord stood by. And the angel of the Lord protested unto Joshua, saying, Thus saith the Lord of hosts, If thou wilt walk in my ways, and if thou wilt keep my charge, then thou shalt also judge my house, and shall also keep my courts, and I will give thee places to walk among these that stand by. And so here... Uh, Joshua is, has the filthy garments, but in verse four, the filthy garments are taken away. And you know that's what happened to the prodigal back here. If he had any garment at all, because the the, the father said, "Bring forth the best robe and put it on him." And the father was ready and willing to forgive. You know the uh, the prodigal. Uh, plans on what he's going to say. He said, I'm going to go and I'm going to say I've sinned against heaven and before thee. I'm not asking to be restored to a son, but make me a servant. The Bible said that uh, when he was a great way off, his father saw him and had compassion and ran and fell on his neck and kissed him. You know, the father, the father goes out to meet him, don't he? And that's what God will do. The the only thing the sinner has to do is become, once that son made a decision to go home, the father was out there ready to meet him. And that's the way God is. God's best. God wants people to be saved. And you know, salvation is the best thing that ever happened to a person. And we don't have to apologize. Sometimes we preach apologetically like, uh, like we're uh, we're trying to get people to take something or accept something that's not any good for them. You know, we can we can offer salvation to whosoever whoever will uh, to whosoever will, and, and it's it's good for him. It's good for people, and it's the best thing that ever happened to a person. I believe that. And he says, bring forth the best robe. Then there's something else that God. Wants in their life, and that's uh, prosperity. And uh, I realize this is a dangerous thought here because of the, uh, the, you know, the prosperity preachers that God doesn't want you to be sick, and God wants you know to you, you have uh, health and wealth. and And uh, uh, I'm not bringing it in in that context, but prosperity. Now the son is there in the hung pen. He's not. Uh, he pro- he seemed to be prosperous till his money ran out. But you know, you could uh, you could have all the money in the world, but you can well, you know you can spend it. It's just like our government. You know, there uh, there's a limit to even to even, uh, to even uh, the government. I mean, after a while, you can spend all there is, and that seems to be the path we're on. That. Uh, uh, you can spend all the money in the world. You can exhaust all the resources in the world after a while. And this young man, I don't know how much he had and I don't know how long he stayed there, but the money run out because he wasn't working. <laughs> uh, but he had to go to work once the money run out. You know, that's uh, that solved a lot of the problems, wasn't it, our society? But... Uh, uh, he had to get a job feeding the, feeding the swine. He had nothing. It was all gone. It was, he was, uh, his resources were exhausted. And yet the father, from the context, I think his father evidently is quite wealthy. I mean, he's there in the hog pen and he said, wait a minute. Uh, you know, I've got a rich father. What am I doing here? I realize I've got my inheritance and I've it, But, uh, uh, you know, my, I mean, the, the fellows that work for my dad, he don't treat them like, like I'm being treated. I mean, they sent him out even hungry. They, they, they didn't even, this servant, this master uh, did not even give him sufficient to eat evidently because he is, he is so hungry and so desperate, he was willing to eat what the pigs were eating. He said, My father didn't like that. He said, If I'm going to have to be a servant the rest of my life, I'd rather be a servant of my father's. I'm going home. He got out of the hog pen and headed home. I don't know, maybe the master said, Where are you going? Get back here and get, get on the job and feed these hogs. He said, I'm uh, retired from the hog feeding business. I'm going home. And he heads home. His father is rich. And I'm glad our father is rich as well. The Bible said in Psalm 35, 27, Let the Lord be magnified, which hath pleasure in the prosperity of his servant. Joshua 1, 8 said, This book of the law shall not depart out of thy mouth, but thou shalt meditate therein day and night, that thou mayest observe to do according to all that is written therein. For then thou shalt make thy way prosperous, and then thou shalt have good success. That's the only time the Bible success is mentioned. And it's connected with the Word of God. Now God doesn't always measure success the way we do. God doesn't measure success in uh, how wealthy you are in material possessions. But God will make you prosperous, and God will make you successful. If you'll follow God, He'll do that. And you may not get it all here. In fact, it's a whole lot better to get it there than it is to get it here. You know, because everything you get here, you've got to leave. Everything you get there, you can keep forever. And Joshua, God says to Joshua that uh, you'll be prosperous. He said, This book of the Lord shall not depart out of thy mouth, but thou shalt meditate therein day and night. We're talking in, uh, in devotions this week in school about this matter of meditation, Psalm 119. Uh, you know, meditation is, is kind of a lost, uh, lost art. Not, not much meditation going on. The old folks, when they got through with the day's chores, and you remember the old houses had, had porches on them and a swing out on the porch and some chairs. And when the day's work was done, people would eat supper and go out and sit on the porch. And maybe fellowship and talk. Maybe some of the neighbors would come over. Or maybe they just sat there and wouldn't say anything. Maybe just read the Word of God and maybe meditate and think about the things of God. And we have lost that. And it's destroying, it's destroying our, uh, our closeness to God. Y'all know what's wrong with our churches? If there's one thing I would say that's killing our churches today is a lack of meditation, a lack of worship, a lack of fellowship with God. I'm talking about personal fellowship. I'm not talking about we come together and we, we join together and sing songs of praise and stay in the Word of God. I'm talking about that personal fellowship with the Lord. And if I don't have it, I'll not be able to help you and minister to you and you'll not be able to minister to anyone else. Meditation. The thought of meditation, uh, You know, if you've ever seen a cow, you know, the cow goes out and picks the grass and chews the grass and swallows the grass, and then the cow goes over. The cow has three stomachs. Some of our, some of our stomachs are three times as big as they ought to be, but uh, anyway, uh, the cow has three stomachs. It eats the grass, puts in the first stomach, then goes and lays over under shade tree, and belches it up and chews the cud, and it gets it chewed up real good and goes on down, and then goes on down the next stomach. And what it's doing, the idea is meditation. But you know something? We're studying there in Psalm one nineteen. If the cow don't go out and pick some grass, it ain't going to have any cud to chew. And we have to find some time that we study the word of God, that we read the word of God, that we might meditate on. The Bible didn't say just read the Bible. He said study to show thyself approved unto God. Study, meditate therein. In Psalm 1, he talks about blessed is a man that walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor standeth in the way of the sin, uh, the, 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 the scornful. Nor, uh, well, let me turn there. I'm, I'm I'm mixed up. I'll just turn and get it right there. Psalm, uh, Psalm one. Blessed is a man that walketh not in the counsel of ungodly nor standeth in the way of sinners. Getting the sinners and the scornful mixed up. Nor sitteth in the seat of the scornful. Notice the progression. He's walking, then he's standing, now he's sitting down. But his delight is in the law of the Lord and in his law. Doth he meditate, there's that meditation, day and night. He shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water that bringeth forth his fruit in his season. His leaf also shall not wither, and whatsoever he doeth shall prosper. Now that's God's promise. God says we need the Word of God. You cannot be successful. You cannot be prosperous in the eyes of God without the Word of God. And you know, God wants what's best for us. Think of it. The time that you spend reading the Word of God, the time that you spend meditating the Word of God, the time that you spend praying, God said it'll make you prosperous, it'll make you successful. God said, I want what's best for you. But we don't have enough sense, you know. We're just kind of like we go out and buy something, and we just fly into it, you know putting it together. And after a while, we got it about half, you know, half of it together wrong. Well, let's see. There ought to be a paper here somewhere it tells me how to put it together. And when all else fails, you read the instructions. And that's kind of, way, that's kind of the way we, we operate. That's kind of the way we run our life, isn't it? I mean, we just head out doing the things that we think uh, uh, is best for us without reading the instructions, without following the Word of God. God's given us an instruction manual. This book, this Bible, is God's instruction manual for life. You ought to be successful in life. Read the manual. And you'll have a lot more success with life that if you don't read it. You know, the Bible says about Joseph there, it's a good illustration of this. In the book of Genesis, chapter 39, you remember Joseph there was hated of his brothers and, and, uh, and sold into, into bondage. And the Bible says in Genesis 39, And Joseph was brought uh, down to Egypt, and Potiphar, an officer of Pharaoh, captain of the guard, an Egyptian, bought him at the hands of the Ishmaelites, which had brought him down thither, and the Lord was with Joseph and he was a prosperous man and he was in the house of his master, the Egyptian. And his master saw that the Lord was with him and that the Lord made all that he did to prosper in his hands. Now here's a heathen notice. The Bible said the Lord made Joseph to prosper. And Potiphar realizes that. He he recognizes that. He said, uh, uh, verse 2, the Lord was with Joseph. He was prosperous. Verse 3, the master saw that the Lord was with him and the Lord made all that he did to prosper in his hand. It was God that made Joseph prosper. It wasn't Joseph's ability or the fact he was smarter than someone else. It was the Lord that made the difference. And God wants what's best for your life. Now, the Bible says here in, in Luke 15, back to the prodigal, they put the best robe on him and they put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet. Now, this indicates the, prod- the, the, the prodigal came home without any shoes. And in those days, when they, this indicated that, uh, that he, uh, he was uh, in the place of a slave, a servant. Because when they when they uh, took captives, they took their shoes off. Now there was reasons for that. I mean, you take a man's shoes and he's pretty well limited to what he can do. Now, when I was growing up as a boy, you know, when it uh, when it got so warm as it's been recently, I mean, off come the shoes, and our feet got pretty tough. <laughs> but if you took my shoes now, I'd be in you know, I'd really be limited. <laughs> because I just don't run around without shoes. But uh, this indicates that, that uh, the father said, bring, bring a ring and put shoes on his feet. This boy's been delivered. He's no longer a servant. He's no longer a slave. Now God's going to make him successful. Then we have God's best provision. In verse uh, sixteen and seventeen, the Bible said he would fain have filled his belly with the hus that the swine did eat, and no man gave unto him. And when he came to himself, he said, "How many hired servants of my fathers have bread enough and to spare, and I perish with hunger?" I'll tell you, he's in bad, bad shape, isn't he? He was hungry. He was, he was, uh, uh, you know, ready to eat the pig's food, but now. Uh, the father, in verse 23, he said, bring forth the fatted calf and kill it and let us eat and be merry. I mean, he's not, he's, he was ready to eat the pig's food. And that been, had been kind of tough. I, when I was growing up, we, we used to raise uh, hogs. They were pigs when we got them and by the time we killed them, they were hogs. And my dad always liked to get two. He said they seemed to do better, and you take the slop and pour it in there, you know, to those to those hogs. And I'll tell you, you know, you know why they call them hogs? Because they wanted it all, <laughs> and there's a knocking and a beating one another, trying to trying to, to get it all, didn't want the other to have anything. And that boy. He would fain have fill his uh, uh, belly with the husks of the swine to eat. But he'd, ha- he'd probably had a pretty hard time if he'd have got in there with the hogs to be able to do that. But now instead of that, he's eating the steak. He's eating the fatty calf. Uh, I had a, one of our uh, church members I was visiting this week uh, gave me a, a big uh, sirloin steak. Man, he he said they had, uh, they had killed uh, uh, killed this bull. Uh, I think you said it dressed out about seven hundred and something pound. That's a that's a good size, isn't it? And that steak, uh, uh, me and Sandy both, you know, uh, made a meal of that. It's good, man. I like that. Uh, well, that's here's the boy, and he's home with a fatted calf. You know, God. God will take care of sometime. Why, why, why do we want to, to eat the hog's food when we can have the best God has for our life? The Bible said in Matthew 6, 33, but seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things shall be added unto you. In Luke 12, 32, fear not little flock for it's your father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. You know God wants to bless you. I was thinking along this line a couple of songs came to my mind. And uh, uh, the family of God, you know the second stanza of that verse. I just love this. This is a a great uh, verse. Listen what he says. From the door of an orphanage to the house of the king. Man, isn't that something? That's what God done for me. From the door of an orphanage to the house of the king. No longer an outcast. A new song uh, I sing. From rags unto riches, from the weak to the strong, I'm not worthy to be here, but praise God, I belong. You know, that's the prodigal. I think uh, whoever, whoever wrote this song, they must have had the story of the prodigal son in mind. Because there's the prodigal. And there's where, there's where God uh, t- brought us from. I, I remember reading a story about... Uh, about a little boy that was sick and put in the hospital, and he was from a very, very poor family. And they the nurse brought him a big glass of milk, and and he, he looked at the nurse and said, How far down may I drink? And she didn't understand, you know, what he was talking about. He said, Well, in my family, you know, we're very poor, and there's so many of us said, you know, uh, when the... We can only drink down so far. Then the next child gets to drink down so far. And the nurse said, you drink it all. (laughs) It's all yours. And that's what the Lord did for us. And then the other one, uh, a child of the king. My father is rich in houses and lands. He holdeth the wealth of the world in his hands. Of rubies and diamonds, of silver and gold, his coffers are full. He has riches untold. The last point is, when it comes to pleasure, God wants what's best for us. In, uh, uh, in uh, verse uh, 23, he said, Bring hither the fatted calf and kill it, and let us eat and be merry. For this my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And they began to be merry. I'll tell you, this boy had not been happy in a while. He thought he was having fun out in the world, didn't he? He thought he was having fun out there uh, devouring his living with harlots and with his riotous lifestyle. He thought he was having fun, but he was missing out on God's best. You know, I try uh, to reinforce to our young people in school as well as your church uh, to keep oneself pure and clean until marriage. And I say, if you'll do that, you'll thank God that you, you did it. And if you don't do it, you'll miss out on God's best for you. You'll miss out on God's best. And sometimes, you know, we may think God's, God's being hard on us and God's, God's trying to make life difficult for us and God's trying to, to keep us from, from enjoying certain pleasures. But God is interested in our well-being. He wants what's best for our life. And He knows what's best. You only have to talk to the people I talk to week after week and realize the tragedy that comes in one's life when we reject the commandments of God and we reject the laws of God and the tragedy and the heartache and the sorrow and the disappointment that he brings in one's life. God is interested in our best, in our welfare, in our well being. In Ecclesiastes 11 and verse 9, he says, Rejoice, O young man, in thy youth, and let thy heart cheer thee in the days of thy youth, and walk in the ways of thine heart and in the sight of thine eyes. But know thou that for all these things God will bring thee into judgment. You know, God wants you to have a good time. You know that? Sure he does. If you're a young person today, you know you look at some Christians, you look at some of us older folks and you think that the Lord's out to make you miserable. Sometimes we don't demonstrate the joy that God gives like we ought to. But listen, God wants you to have fun. God wants you to enjoy life. But he said just remember that when you're having fun that you're going to have to meet God in judgment for every act for all of your conduct. And I think the point that God's trying to get across to us is that you don't have to get drunk. You don't have to party. You don't have to reject the laws of God to have a good time. You can have a better time living right. I believe that. And sometimes we think, thank God that God saves people from a life of sin and drugs and alcoholism and all these things. And I'm glad God can do that. But it's better off never to get involved. It's better off to receive Christ when you're young and never follow the path of sin and never become in bondage to some of those things. God wants the best. In Hebrews chapter 11, the Bible said, That when Moses came to years, he refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to suffer affliction with the people of God than to enjoy the pleasures of sin for a season. Esteeming the reproach of Christ's greater riches than the treasures in Egypt, for he had respect unto the recompense of the reward. He looked at it in the long haul, the long term. He wasn't just looking at the immediate benefits. And history tells us that, that uh, because of Moses' achievements, Moses was, a, uh, you know, a great military leader from what history tells us, Josephus. And because of that, he was in line for uh, uh, probably the throne. What would you do? <laughs> he gave it all up for a shepherd's life. And probably people said about Moses, said, did you hear what Moses did? Do you hear that Moses threw it all away? He had it all. He could have it all. And he's ruined his life. Did he? If you could let the Lord speak, if you could have the Lord let you talk to Moses today and say, Moses, did you make the right decision. <laughs> what do you think he'd say? Made the right choice, didn't he? Yes, there's pleasure in sin, but the Bible said it's only for a season. It's only temporary. You know, that's why people people that get drunk every weekend, they, you know, they have to keep going back to it, right? People that use drugs, they have to keep doing it. That's the way sin is. It never satisfies. You have to just keep going back and back and back and doing it over and over. But the Lord told the woman at the well of Samaria, if you, if you receive the water I'm talking about, it'll be a well springing up into everlasting life. You don't, even have, you don't have to come back anymore. You get the well. That's the way the Lord is. The pleasures of sin are only for a season. But listen to what he says in Psalm 16, 11. Thy wilt show me the path of life. In thy presence is fullness of joy. At thy right hand there are pleasures forevermore. You know, when we get to heaven, he said there's pleasures forevermore. And I realize this is prophetic of the Lord Jesus. But the fact of being with him and being in his presence, it's going to be eternal joy. Joy and pleasure Forever. No more sad moments. You know, life isn't like that, it? Life is up and down. I mean, there are moments of rejoicing and pleasure and there's moments of great despondence and sorrow and tragedy and problems and over and over, and that's the way life is. But aren't you glad there's a better day when this will be unknown? I'm looking forward to that. At thy right hand there are pleasures forevermore. Psalm 149, 4, For the Lord taketh pleasure in His people. He will beautify the meek with salvation. God is interested in us. He wants the best for our life. And for what purpose in Revelation 4:11, Thou art worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power. For Thou hast created all things, and for Thy pleasure they are and were created. Man's chief end is to glorify God and enjoy Him forever. That's the ultimate goal of man: is to get to the place and the purpose where God created us. I'm glad there's a better day. I was visiting my sister this week. She's been at this church on different occasions, homecoming and. It's been about 10 months since her surgery. She, her color is almost like these yellow flowers because of the cancer in her liver. She cannot sit up in the bed without help. She can hardly talk to you. life is uncertain folks and you observe that scene and you're reminded once again of what really counts in life I mean the things of this world fade into unimportance the thing that really counts is your relationship to God. I'm glad she she's a believer in Christ, but I'm glad a couple of weeks ago I was visited and I we got to talk and she was very conscious then and and we got to talk about going to heaven, about one's assurance of salvation. And there seemed to settle a peace, you know there seemed to come a subtle peace after that conversation burn her heart God's able to perform a miracle but if God don't perform a miracle she's going to be with the Lord and I was as I left there I thought in my mind you know maybe in a few days she'll get to see her mother there was a a note of joy. (laughs) I began to think about it. I said, boy, it would be great. That'd That'd be something. I could imagine in my mind what it'd be like. Aren't you glad that God made a way of salvation? You know? No matter what this old prodigal did, You know, how far away he went. How sinful and wicked he became. He went back home. Father said, Boy, it's good to see you. That's the Lord. And that's the way God does us today. And I believe the primary. Perpetation really is is probably a person's got out of fellowship with the Lord. Sometimes we're not always obedient. But the Lord, the Lord forgives us over and over and over again. God is on their side. He's our friend. He's not going to do any wonderful no. He's not going to do us wrong. I don't blame God for my... Listen, it's not God's fault my sister has cancer. It's not God's fault. He came to get rid of that stuff. It's not the Lord's fault. That's sin and the devil's fault as I preached last week. That's not God's fault. He's... He's with us. He's on our side. He wants what's best. Bring forth the best robe and put it on him. Think of that. He said, don't just break a robe. Bring the best that you've got. Bring the best we've got in the house. Put a ring on his head, shoes on his feet. Kill the fatty calf. And let's have a party. That's what the Lord did for us. What he's going to do for us one of these days. Let's our heads.